Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Welcome to another edition of the Five Reasons Podcast. My name is Chris Whittingham, joined as always by Ethan Skolnick. You can find us on fivereasonsports.com. That's where you find all the information about all of our podcasts, all 15 of the podcasts in the network, where you can listen to them, where you can subscribe. And also, we have plenty of written content there as well, covering all of South Florida sports. As the news comes in, we'll have it all covered at fivereasonsports.com. A lot of great opinion pieces there. As well, so FiveReasonSports.com is where you find everything that we're doing. Find us on Twitter at Five Reasons Sports and the same handle on Instagram as well. Now we're doing we're dealing with a little bit of uh, audio difficulties today, so uh, Ethan is joining me uh, not from his usual professional setup, but from the uh, audio on his computer. But we're going to press on talking about the NBA today. There is we're now at a stage, Ethan, where there are three games left in every series, and three of them are really good. And I actually want to start with the series that is. Probably going to end the quickest and that is Milwaukee and Boston because of the four that could potentially have had upsets in them this is the one that you called Uh, Milwaukee now leads by three games to one winning both games in Boston which I I think was a shock particularly after the way that game one uh, went Uh, where do you think this series maybe went against what you thought might happen Ethan yeah that plus 240 not looking so good right now Chris (laughs) uh, at, at all I you know I think well one thing was the one thing that could not happen in this series if Boston was going to win was for Kyrie to underperform and I I just think with with all the issues that Boston has had this year you know I I talked a lot about how Boston I thought could be a little like the 06 heat not necessarily winning a championship but a team that didn't look right during the regular season but had a lot of pieces that might work better in the playoffs and and that you know to me the big thing was though Kyrie had to play like Dwayne did and had to sort of carry that group so that everybody else kind of fell into line. Well, Kyrie has not played like Dwayne did. And if that's not going to happen, then I think what happens with that team is that others don't really understand what their roles are. It's never been completely figured out this year. And look, I I think to a certain degree, I did what I accused others of doing during the regular season, which is I underestimated Milwaukee. Um, You know, they're not just Giannis. Uh, They've got guys playing at a higher level than I've seen in a long time. George Hill's playing at a higher level than he's played at in a long time. Um, Some of their supporting pieces, who I didn't know if they would step up in this situation, you know, have done so. Um, And so, you know, defensively, they've been very, very sound. And and so I think we've got to give some credit to the Bucs and to Bud in particular, uh, you know, I, there was some question. You you raised it on a previous podcast. Is this a guy who's mostly a regular season coach? You know, he gets a team to 60 wins, but we saw what happened with the Hawks. And, you know, now we're in a situation where, you know, they can close this thing out pretty quickly. And I did not really see that coming. So, uh, you know, to go win in Boston, you know, get those two games and have Giannis come out the other side. And I think that's part of this sort of maturity that we see with real, real superstars is, you know, LeBron had struggles at times early on in the playoffs, but he came out the other side. Teams threw different things in him. He had to adjust, um, and he has. Now, I don't think Kyrie has shrunk in the moment. I just don't think he's shooting particularly well. That happens, but but they cannot, as a team, survive that, and it will lead to other questions now because as soon as that series is over, provided that Milwaukee doesn't squander it, you know, it's about where Kyrie goes next. And, and you know, a lot of what sort of Danny Ainge has put together, that house of cards could fall apart. And I do want to talk a lot in this podcast about supporting players and kind of the role that they've either played or not played for varying teams in the playoffs. I think supporting players are kind of determining a lot right now, which is kind of uh, surprising to think about because we think of the playoffs as a very star-driven time of year. But um, I think Boston's getting nothing from their supporting players. They got a total of seven points from their bench, including two points from Gordon Hayward, who's been awful in this series. Done absolutely nothing. But I do want to kind of talk about what felt like a momentous moment last night for Giannis Antetokounmpo because – he goes into a fourth quarter of a close game and just absolutely lays waste 
to the Boston Celtics. And that's a level that superstars have to jump to, where it's not just you're playing really well, you're playing really well in a playoff series. You counter-adjust to things that other teams are throwing at you. But when it's a fourth quarter of a game and you can step on the neck of the opposing team and you do it and it seems like, you know, you're taking off, like doing the things he does in the regular season, you know, doing a Euro step from 20 feet from the basket and finishing at the rim. He had, you know, the, the, the exclamation point dunk in the final minute of the game that I tweeted out this morning because I was, I was watching the highlights back. And it's just incredible what he can do on the basketball floor and doing that to close out a team or basically all but close out a team. And obviously you know, we've seen teams come back from three, one down, but uh, to basically all but close out a team, win two games on the road with that fourth quarter performance. When we're talking about wanting to see these star breakouts of certain players come playoff time, I think there's been a lot of opportunity for, for, for players in this, in these NBA playoffs to do that. And Giannis seized his last night, efficient 15 of 22 finishing at the rim. He had like 26 points in the paint. Like he did, he does all the things that he, does in the regular season in the playoffs and we talked about this last week in our NBA podcast that it's not necessarily about rising to another level but rather maintaining the level that you perform in in the regular season and Giannis turning these kinds of performances all the time in the regular season and last night in Boston on the road in a game four that you can win to basically all but deliver the knockout blow he comes up with that incredible fourth quarter performance to really seal that victory and I think that's a major step forward for him in his career particularly heading towards his conference finals against either either uh, Toronto or Philadelphia, heading towards maybe an NBA Finals against either Golden State or Houston or whoever comes out uh, from the Western Conference. Those are the kind of moments that feel like, okay, that was his star turn in the postseason rather than kind of being this highlight factor that he's been in the regular season. Yeah, and can we put to, put aside the myth that Boston is an impossible place to go get a win for a superstar? Because yeah. we just saw Giannis do a little bit of what LeBron did. And what was similar about it to me is Giannis – does things his way he doesn't you know we talk about adjustment and he's made some but pretty much he's just sort of does what he does better um than everybody else and there's not really a hell of a lot that you can do against that and that's one of the things where i think i don't know if it was winhorst or mark stein or one of the guests we had that was talking about that or maybe it was matt moore that there really isn't a whole lot of adjustment that could be made to Giannis. i think boston tried some things and now you know they're kind of up shit's creek here at the end i i just to me, the fascinating part of this is that, you know, the Celtics came into this season and the the whole idea was they have so much talent, right? They have so much talent in so many places. They're getting Kyrie back. They're getting Hayward back. And, you know, you just got experience for the three young guys in particular in Rozier, Tatum, and Brown. And you have, still have Horford and you, you re-sign Marcus Smart to that contract. And you're just so loaded up that you're never going to go through droughts. Like that, that was the whole thing. And this team goes through droughts. Like if Kyrie is not shooting well, like you said, the Gordon Hayward thing, it looked like he turned a corner. In fact, you know, I, I read something where he said it was the Miami game, actually, where mm -hmm. he felt like, okay, it all sort of come back together again. And now it's falling apart and they don't have another place to go. And I, I guess when you're, you know, you're Danny Ainge and you're building this thing, the idea was you're going to have so many options. And I, I just wonder if, what happened this year, we're trying to force Hayward back in, you know, obviously you want to, you know, Kyrie was going to be your lead guy, but you've, I, to me, you've kind of lost a year of development with, I don't know what Rozier is at this point, but like I, you've lost a year of development with, with Tatum and Brown, because I, I don't know that this year was good for them. I, I feel like they were, they were emerging into something and now they're not. And now they just look sort of young and mistake prone a lot. And so I, look, I, I was fooled by it. I thought this could be a team that could turn the corner. I thought Milwaukee reminded me a little of some of those, sort of number one seeded Indiana teams or some of the other teams we've seen, the number one seeded Atlanta team uh, that was just not as good as its regular season pedigree. But I think we got to take the Bucks very seriously. I mean, I, the first round series, no, but it, it is a talented team they're going against and they've made adjustments and their superstar has looked like a superstar, just like for Toronto, their superstar has looked like a superstar um, and that's the only chance that you have uh, to beat a Golden State. The Harden thing aside, because he hasn't shot all that well, and we'll talk about the other side of the bracket. But I, I just, I've been very impressed. Less so disappointed with Boston as impressed with Milwaukee. I, I you know, Boston, we've kind of seen this in and out all year. 
And for Milwaukee to play at this level in the playoffs has been a little surprising. Yeah, and and quickly on Boston, and then I want to close in Milwaukee, but when you're getting nothing out of a $31.2 million player, it's just hard. And, and we can talk about Danny Ainge maybe screwing things, you know, some things up and not having the depth that maybe he could have uh, based off of what he's, you know, amassed in terms of assets and frankly still has. I mean, they still have three first-round picks this year, as incredible as, as, as that is to believe, even though none of, none of them are, are particularly good. Um, but when you look at, the, you know, the, the amassing of talent and Boston just getting nothing from a $31 million player. Like, there just aren't very many teams that can succeed that way. That amount of money going to a player that's basically giving you nothing. I think uh, Haley O'Shaughnessy wrote for the ringer that I think he's a minus 49 in his last three games, has 17 combined points in the last three games of this series that, that, that have all been losses for the Celtics. That's $31 million for a negative play for for play that hurts you. So th- there's just no recovering that from that. From but from a Milwaukee perspective, I think there's a rush, and and we'll certainly get to this plenty o- over the course of this pod when it comes to talking about uh, certain teams. When particularly role players struggle early on in series, particularly in home losses, there was a rush to kind of write those guys off. And I remember after game one, the story was that Boston had figured out uh, a way to to wall off Giannis, uh, force him to pass to teammates that were fairly unreliable. Can you really trust Eric Bledsoe in a playoff series? Um George Hill in a playoff series, Chris Middleton in a playoff series, Brooke Lopez shooting threes in a playoff series, Pat Connaughton is getting big-time minutes uh, for this team, uh, Ursan Ilyasova is a player that you know, Heat fans certainly know uh, you can trust in a playoff series, but but do, but do we know that he could do it in this series? So I, I do want to give a, a, an immense amount of credit because you saw last night the big shots that they were hitting, Pat Connaughton in particular, coming up with big blocks and big shots as well. Um, those guys around Giannis have stepped up as well, and... You, you again. You kind of think of it as a regular season team. Just those names in particular, the non Giannis players. Um, you, you think of them as a regular season team uh, that you know when it comes playoff time, other teams wouldn't mind if those guys made shots. But Eric Bledsoe uh, did really well driving towards the rim last night. The the outside guys made big shots at big times, and I, I think now um, th- there is kind of. A, a, a serious dividing point between role players in these playoffs. There are either guys that you trust and guys that you don't trust uh, in certain moments. I think Toronto is seeing a real slippage in players that have gone from you know leading a bench unit that was one of the best units uh, in the entire league a year ago to trusting none of them. Like Fred Van Vliet, you can't even play anymore. Uh, whereas Milwaukee is figuring out a way for all of their guys to succeed, and they're succeeding in these big moments that are deciding series. Like it is weird to see George Hill, you know, going on a heat check run where he has like seven points in a minute and he's deciding a playoff game when, you know, a year ago we might have thought of him as unplayable at times uh, for the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think that kind of dividing line is what's separating the good teams from the great teams in these playoffs so far. We'll get back to our episode here in a second. But first, I want to tell you about a great new sponsor of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that is ShipYourCarNow.com. These guys can move any car, boat, RV, motorcycle, or equipment anywhere you need worldwide. You have a business and need to ship freight or machinery? Call them. College moves, new car, used car, buying the toy you've looked at for a while? Call them. These guys can ship it all, so give them a call. Here's the number, 1-800-264-4644. That's 1-800-264-4644, or visit shipyourcar.com now.com backslash five reasons also make sure to mention five reasons on the phone i wish look i wish they'd I, they'd had this when i was going to college this would have been great for me i needed to get my car down from baltimore to florida i ended up taking the auto train you don't want to take the auto train ship your car fly no job too big or too small ship your car now moves it all yeah, I think it is. And, and when you look at the bench last night, okay, so if you were to say that Milwaukee was to get four of 19 from Middleton, who is arguably their second best player, four of 19 from Middleton and still score 113, well, why does it happen? Because like you said, George Hill goes six of 11. Connaughton goes three of seven. You know, they get three baskets from Ilyasovi. Didn't shoot particularly well, but they get three baskets. as a po- you know, So their bench, you know, last night gave them, you know, over 30 points. Whereas, excuse me, you look at the Boston bench, Hayward, one of five in 27 minutes for two points. Um, Aaron Baines, no scoring is not really what he's there to do, but nothing in seven minutes. Marcus Smart, one of seven from the field. 
in 15 minutes. Not that surprising, but Terry Rozier, somebody who gave you really good minutes last year, has been incredibly inconsistent this whole season. 10 minutes, one of five. So you're getting seven points from your bench. And so even on a night where Jalen Brown and Tatum shoot close to 50% combined for 33 points, even when Horford gives you 20, you know, Kyrie struggles, but you get 18 and 14 from Marcus Morris, it's not enough. And I, I just, you know, you're right. It's not all Ainge's fault, you know, because you don't expect Hayward to get hurt. I, I Obviously, Hayward would be a better player at this stage. Um, but there, there are some sort of underlying issues with this team. I oh, mean, they sure. may have overrated Rozier. Right. They, they, I, you know, I didn't like the Marcus Smart contract at the time. Uh, and I, and I said that I, I just don't, I, I think he's, he's a good player on a good team with a good fit, but I, he, it was a little bit to me of a heat move. I hate to say that from the heat's behalf, but it was like, <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was like, it was paying a guy for uh, culture. I mean, basically. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, he's a younger version of James Johnson, but it's still paying a guy for culture. Like, is Marcus Smart of a guy who's playable at the end of games? I, I still don't think so. Like, I and I, I know that Celtics fans, ah, Marcus Smart, and I throw it in your face, but I, <laughs> I, I, I just, I just didn't, didn't see it at the time. I mean, Celtics fans are making the case he's a better player than Winslow. I don't think he is, I, especially now that Justice can shoot um, and Justice can handle. And so, I, I, I you know, I, there are structural issues with this team. And in Boston, you know, whereas if Milwaukee went out in in five games. The Milwaukee media was not going to tear them apart, right? It sure. would have been like, you know, okay, they need to get Giannis more help, right? Like, okay, they need to get Giannis more help. But what a great season. What a great job that Bud did. We're, we're going the right direction. We just need playoff experience. Very quickly before we move on, the one thing that's haunting uh, from a Milwaukee point of view, Giannis in his last five games has made nine threes. Nine of 21 from three. Right. If, if he if he can we hit that with any regularity, we're making the LeBron comparison for a reason. I mean, th- yeah. there that that is I mean that is something that people said the same thing about Bron. Yeah, and when that started to click, I mean, there's no reason if you watch Giannis's shot, there's no reason he shouldn't be okay from three. Like mm-hmm. there's no, I mean, it's not a Michael Kidd Gilchrist thing. It's not even a justice thing for the beginning. I'm not saying he's going to be Steph Curry, but there's no reason he can't be a 35 to 37 percent three point shooter. And if he is and doesn't fall in love with it, which is always the problem, I go mm-hmm. back to it's not just Braun or Dwayne who did at times. I, you know, I, I was used to write about Dwayne doing it. Like, and I wrote a column, you know, during the, I think, 05, 06 season that he was falling in love with it, kind of like Tracy McGrady did, where Tracy sort of figured out how to do it his second or third year. And then his volume started to go up and his percentages started to go down. He got away from what made him himself. And I, you know, and I always warned about that with Dwayne, and Dwayne never became good enough at it. For that sure. to be the case. Well, not, not until very late in his career. <laughs> right, very late, right? And only for small, weird stretches, right? Sure. So I, I just, I think when you look at it, you know, for Giannis, it just has, it, it shouldn't be the, it should never be the weapon for him, mm. but it can be a weapon in the way that it has been for LeBron. And if you look, you look at a lot of sort of LeBron's classic moments, they've come from three, mm-hmm. a lot of them. And that is not something anybody would have projected when he was at this sort of the stage of the career that Giannis is at right now. And it's not just, you know, having that as, you know, as, you know, something that you could do. It's, it's, it's really a weapon of respect where if, if you line up a three point shot that other teams are going to chase you out and that just opens up the lane again. And that, that's really what Giannis's game is about is opening up the lane for himself, whether it's his teammates or himself. And he can make, if he can make from three with any regularity, uh, that'd be incredible. Now, in terms of the other series in the East, I'm really fascinated by this one. I think, uh, uh, it's you know Philadelphia Toronto two two uh, heading towards a, again a three game series two games in Toronto um, but I think through four games Philadelphia has been much the better team and I really think that they, they might end up regretting that game four performance because it was there for the taking right now it is Kawhi against a group of really talented players and I think you saw in game three in particular what having that just complete collection of full talent firing on all cylinders. I mean, Philadelphia looked overwhelming in that game three. And then Embiid has, you know, multiple illnesses over the course of a couple of days. Um, and he just wasn't nearly the same. I just don't know if he can be the same night in, night out in, a, in, in you know, over the course of four rounds in, in a playoff. So it certainly is a concern. Um, and then kind of the other structural flaws coming with Philly in that game four. But the thing right now that has to worry you if, if you're, you know, you know, supporting Toronto right now 
is they've got nothing outside of Kawhi. I mean, Kyle Lowry like gave you a decent game uh, by playoff standards from like a role player, and you know it's being celebrated. Oh, Kyle Lowry had a decent game, but I mean, compared to what he delivers at times in the regular season, has delivered in years previous, it's not nearly good enough from him. And then just on through, Marcus All looks like he's playing hot potato sometimes. Pascal Siakam, obviously dealing with injury, um, was pretty bad in that game four, um, and they just managed to get over the line. Like Toronto was kind of a triumph of depth. Um, it, particularly in the Lowry-DeRozan era, you give up a little bit of it for, for Kawhi. You give up a little bit more of it for Marcus Gasol, and now they've kind of got nothing but a bare-bones team left. Yeah, that's true. And you saw when Siakam's numbers started to drop off, uh, kind of what happened, you know, with them putting a beat on him and changing changing the matchup there. I, I just, look, your best players need to play well in the playoffs, and it's very simple. And, you know, we, we get back to Boston. Kyrie hasn't. Giannis has. Toronto, Kawhi has, but... Kyle Lowry has not again. And I, I just think, you know, I think sometimes we make too much of one or two postseason performances. But with Kyle, it, it, the same with DeRozan, you know, before he left in the trade, like it, it is what it is at this point. Mm-hmm. Like there is something in Kyle's head. It's not it's not just that he's not making shots. He's not taking shots. Um, he, he's not. He thinks of himself. I, I remember being in Toronto for the the fifth, the sixth series in sixteen, the second round series, and I've I've always admired the Toronto media relations department. They they are along with Golden State the best in the sport in my view, um, and they're very open. And I remember being at the practice facility, and Kyle was going through a terrible struggle against the Heat, and they brought him out, and he sat at the podium, and he took twelve minutes of questions, and he said he sucked. Okay, and he I mean he was Kyle didn't he didn't he didn't blame anybody else. He blamed himself. It wasn't forced or fake. It was, you know, him, you know, the, the style, the, the way that he kind of has always approached these things. He's very real about this stuff. Um, and, and then he turned around a little bit at the end of that series. Remember, he, he shot a ton, okay, after he wasn't really shooting as much. And he didn't make all of them, but he shot a ton. He, had, of course, had that last-minute, last-second shot that people remember. But, but he, was a four, he, was, he was at least himself. And I just, but too many times in the postseason, he's gotten himself trapped in these moments. And now he's in this moment where he just doesn't want to shoot. And I mean, if you have, the problem is Kawhi is not, you know, Kawhi for all his greatness and his greatness has been proven in the playoffs. He's not the kind of guy who seems like he wants to go out there and try to get you 50. It's just not him. Right. So, I mean, he came up in the San Antonio system where he learned, okay, I'll get mine after Duncan, you know, and old Tony Parker and Mano Ginobili get theirs. I mean, he won an MVP as the fourth option in the finals. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the way it was. And so, you know, he's not the type who's going to impose himself on the game offensively as a shooter the same way that maybe he ISOs more than he used to, but not the same way that a Harden will. And so if you have two of your other core players and your two other all-stars or guys who've been all-stars and Kyle Lowry and Marcus Gasol, who will not shoot the ball, like, like, I mean, how are they going to win the series? <laughs> right? Because, because he's, unless he just goes nuclear and I don't, you know, maybe he, you know, he's certainly capable of that, but the problem is you're going against a team that has four guys and, and really a fifth because when Reddick gets going. And so I, you know, that, that to me has always been the issue of this series is you're right. The depth has been eaten away at a little bit. And, and mostly I think the assertiveness of their other two sort of core guys, because Ibaka is not what he was either. And Serge was never, you know, he was always, you know, distant fourth option on Oklahoma city, right? Like that, that's the way that they played it. So it's not going to be him either. So who is it going to be if it's not Kyle Lowry like that? Because Marcus soul needs to get his from somewhere else. Like he, somebody needs to help send him up. So Kyle Lowry needs to shoot the ball. I mean, he just needs to shoot it. Like, I mean, they have to, if he shoots four for 21, he shoots four for 21, but you can't, you can't have these long stretches where your point guard is not who is, who is an aggressive shooting point guard by nature is not looking at the basket. That just can't happen. We'll get back to today's episode in a second, but first I want to tell you about one of our new sponsors here in the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that is the attorneys at Seltzer Mayberg. Find them at onecalllegal.com. That's O-N-E calllegal.com, or actually call 855 855- 
5,000 law, L-A-W. They handle cases including but not limited to car accidents, slip and falls, and any personal injury matters. Additionally, if you mention five reasons, they will handle your traffic ticket for $44.99 with a new 15,000 square foot office opening on I-95 in North Miami. They will handle cases all over South Florida. Call now with 24-7 service for a free consultation. OneCallLegal.com or 855-5000-LAW. The attorneys at Seltzer Mayberg, a proud sponsor of the Five Reasons Sports Network. You look at this series when Kawhi Leonard steps off the floor, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So on the court, he's played 160 minutes of this 192-minute series. On the court, they're 109.7 points per 100 possessions. Excellent. That's really good. And on defense, 102 points per 100 possessions. That's really good. That's enough to win you a series when Kawhi Leonard's on the floor. Philadelphia is feasting in this series off of the minutes that Kawhi Leonard doesn't play. And it's not really that many. It's on average eight minutes per game that he's not playing. But on the court, uh, excuse me, with him off the court, their offensive rating is 61. I mean, that is falling. I mean, that's like 40 points worse than the Phoenix Suns. I mean, that is as bad as it gets. And and they just have nothing when he steps off the court. Whereas, I mean, you kind of look at it from, you know, from Philly's standpoint. You know, Philadelphia, so Toronto in the last game basically played a six-man rotation. They started Siakam, Leonard, Gasol, Lowry, Green, and they brought Ibaka off the bench for 32 minutes. By the way, if Siakam missed that game, I have no idea what the hell they would have done because Van Vliet played seven minutes, Patrick McCaw played five, Norm Powell played four, and everyone else is a DNP. So that's 17 minutes from other guys on the Raptors other than those original six. I mean, you're basically... Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Basically playing a six-man rotation, whereas Philly is getting stuff out of James Ennis, which Heat fans might be surprised to see. Um, Mike Scott is giving them, you know, at least decent role minutes off the bench. Um, Greg Monroe, eh. um, but I mean, you know, Boban has occasionally had moments for them in the postseason. I mean, you wouldn't have thought that Philadelphia's advantage in the series might have been depth, um, but even beyond that, just that starting five and, and what they look like in game three, I just can't get that out of my head. Um, and, and I think the Philly fans might have been going a little crazy as well um, because that's what it looks like at its best, right? And I was reading an article today about um, what Brett Brown has been doing in, these po- in this postseason. It was kind of identifying, okay, uh, Tobias is good at this and Simmons is good at that. And it did seem like a lot of it was contradictory, right? Where, you know, Jimmy Butler is really good in the pick and roll with Embiid, but uh, we want to get Simmons going in the open court, and Simmons might be good as a screener, but Tobias Harris is really good in the pick and roll, and, you know, decent like, it's it's hard to figure out the best way to optimize all five of those guys when they're playing together. But when they do, I don't think there's a team uh, in the NBA with a higher ceiling, and I include Golden State uh, in that conversation because it's just it's a perfect confluence of guys where you have to make Sophie's choices all over the floor, and and you just don't know what what you know who who to sag off of who. And it, the answer might be Ben Simmons. I mean, particularly because of his lack of shooting, but when he's going, he can certainly find other ways to contribute on offense. But um, Philadelphia in this series, and really going forward in these postseason, if they end up playing. Milwaukee in in the conference finals I think they can give them a really difficult series and yet I also can can see just because Kawhi Leonard has gone supernova in this postseason and that's something that I want to talk about here um, Kawhi Leonard and, and I mentioned how bad they were with him off the floor but 
on the floor, he's he might be the the single greatest influence in the postseason right now. And there was a conversation uh, that was had for a couple of days over the weekend, which was, would you rather have Kawhi or KD right now as best player in the playoffs? And then last night, Giannis goes, oh, you know, I would like to be included in that conversation as well, please. But I mean, Kawhi as a leading man, um, obviously it depends on where he goes, you know, for, for his future. But I think Kawhi Leonard has got a solid three or four years as the leading man. Uh, and it, right now, it does seem like best player in the NBA um, is vacant just because, you know, LeBron heading into his post-prime era with a team that might not be best suited to take advantage of his skills. I think Kawhi is certainly in that conversation, best player in the league, what he's doing on both ends of the floor in these ser- in this series and in these playoffs. Yeah, and now we look at, you know, three guys um, that are leading their teams right now or one of the leaders of their teams. They're all going to be free agents after the season who all of whom could get bounced in this round. Mm-hmm. Right? We could, Kawhi Leonard could be out. Uh, Kyrie Irving likely going to be out. Kevin Durant could be out. Um, I think it was likely that all three were going to move teams anyway. If they lose in the second round, it's a given. For sure. <laughs> so I, I just think, although it, it's going to look really bad for KD, I will say that because if they lose in the second round, you know, he comes to a team to win a championship. Uh, it was a given championship. And then as soon as it starts to go bad, he bolts. It's going to look pretty terrible, but I still think he's going to do that anyway. I think Kawhi, I think Kawhi's decision to some degree, and I think this is Masai Ujiri's burden now, I think his decision's been kind of made for him in the series. Like, like mm-hmm. if he if he can't carry them through, then he's got to look at it and be like, okay, well, all right. So, what am I staying here for? Like, I mean, I'll, Espe- I'll go especially to especially when Toronto had done so well to take care of his body this year and give him rest games and still win a ton of games anyway. If he can't even sit on the bench for five minutes in the in you know in between the first and the second quarter because. You know, Toronto's going to get run off the floor. Then, what's the point of preserving his body? Exactly. So, so I, I just don't. I, I think we're going to see a lot of turnover here, and, and again, it plays into the Philadelphia side of the series too. Let's go to the West and to Golden State, Houston. Um, obviously, I, it's funny. I was in Vegas. Um, I I was uh, I was working. I was doing something, uh, meeting with some people, and then got out and saw what happened, uh, which was. Third overtime, of the oh, Denver yeah. series, and and we'll we'll get to that. I, I do want to touch on that series a little bit because I think it's been revealing uh, about kind of both teams and the idea of how you need to build the team in the NBA. But let's go to Houston, Golden State first. And I, there's to me there there's really two storylines in this series. Um, the first storyline is that Golden State has basically decided Steve Kerr has decided that five guys are playable. Yeah, and so. You know, I think what you see with 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 uh, with what happens to dynasties in the NBA and the salary cap era is you can continue to pay luxury tax and pay luxury tax and pay luxury tax and you can keep your stars. But if you're going to do that, eventually something else is going to crater. And we saw it at the end with the Heat in that last year where they were giving Tony Douglas and Michael Beasley minutes. And now we're seeing a Golden State team that Steve Kerr has just decided, no, I'm not playing any of them. Like uh, if they get cousins back, they get cousins back. And I know he said now he plans to come back some point during the playoffs, provided they're still around, but it's the Hamptons five lineup. And that is it. And the only reason it's working to some degree is because Iguodala is playing at a level higher than he should be at his age, but they don't have anything else. And, you know, it's going to be really interesting this off season to see if Durant goes, how they kind of reshape this thing, because I don't even see any players in their system that I like. Like I, I don't, They've had some guys they've tried to develop and like an Ian Clark or what was it, McCaw and others, and nobody has sort of stepped forward. I mean, you know, Looney is the only one who's shown any promise and he's not a frontline player. They just haven't developed anybody. Um, I mean, Jordan Bell a couple of years ago was supposed to be an option. And, you know, what what they really need, honestly, is the Heat's development department, like just to find two pieces. Yeah. And they I, haven't I, it, is, it is kind of amazing. I think Golden State, in theory, could do that. But I just think it's so hard, and we saw it with Miami during the Big Three era, to do both at the same time. Compete for championships and also bring along guys in development and have that apparatus. Because really the apparatus in terms of player acquisition is about who can help us win the championship this year, not who can develop into a player that can maybe, you know, down the line. I think they've done okay with Alfonso McKinney, but other than that, you're right. I mean, it it really is hard for these, you know, top-end NBA teams to walk and chew gum at the same time. Yeah, for sure. And and look, I I don't know that it costs them, ultimately, um, if they're – you know, top three go supernova, but mm-hmm. we've seen that it, it eats into portions of the game for them. And, and this kind of happened again in game four. Like anytime they play anybody who's out of that top five, they suffer and then they have to make it up 
at the end. And so, I mean, they, they the only way they're going to get through this thing, because Houston, here's the thing that's different about Houston and every other team in the league. The Rockets believe they're better than the Warriors. Sure. They, they were saying that last year. I don't think any other team in the league believes that. I think the Rockets believe that. I think they they feel like, even without some of the guys they had last year, Bamute and Ariza, et cetera, they feel like their core is good enough. They Guys like P.J. Tucker are not back-down guys. It's the reason they would not trade him. Remember all that was going on for Jimmy Butler, and the thing was, is P.J. Tucker in the deal or not in the deal? And like you know, people are like, glorified role player. Yes, perhaps, right? But, I mean, the Heat pay a lot for glorified role players. And, and this one, you know, last night, gave him 42 minutes, 3-3, three, three, 17 points, 10 rebounds, and 3 assists. And if you're going to get that, if you're going to get, if you're gonna get uh, you know, some scoring from Austin Rivers off the bench, if you're going to get a, you know, a three from Amon Shumpert and some decent defense, when, you know, Amon's somebody we gave up on a long time ago, you know, they know what they are. And a lot of teams that go against the Warriors don't know what they are. And I hate watching it. I don't want to see them in the next round. Okay. <laughs> but they know what they are. They, they've developed a style. D'Antoni deserves credit for that. And so you look on the other side and, you know, you get the 34 from Durant and you get the 30 from Curry and you get the, the, the poor shooting game from Clay Thompson, which unfortunately for the Warriors has become a little too too common in the playoffs. But then what are you going to get from anywhere anywhere else? I mean, you got, you got a box score game from Draymond. Iguodala, you're not expecting scoring, but again, that bench, I mean, one basket for Livingston, two baskets for Looney, one basket for McKinney. And that's it. I mean, it's just, they, they don't have, he's only playing eight and he's only giving minutes if you look at the minutes he's giving a 47 minutes total to the bench you know so you know even Houston who's only really played two big minutes you know they gave over 60 minutes to the bench so I, I just think when you look at where the Warriors are right now these are the dying breaths of a dynasty okay and it's can you squeeze out one more before it goes away it doesn't mean they're not going to be contenders it doesn't mean they're not going to be competitive but we've seen this with other teams the Detroit Pistons who had that sort of core five group like they, they squeezed out another title and like you kind of knew, okay, that was it, right? They didn't have a whole lot left. Like they, they got there again against San Antonio because they got past the heat only because Wade uh, hurt his ribcage muscle. But then the next year, the heat took care of them, even in the one seed. You kind of you know when teams get to that point. And we saw it with the Lakers, with the, with the Kobe Shaq Lakers, like you knew. Like that was, I mean, they brought in Carl Malone and Gary Payton right out of the mausoleum, right? And tried to make something work there. And didn't work. I feel like that's where we are with Golden State. Like the 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 Demarcus Cousins was the lifeline move. Like let's keep it alive for one more year at that level. And because it took him a long time to get back, and then after he got went out, he got hurt. You know, we haven't seen the benefits of that. They don't have. There was no Plan B this year, and I, it's very hard to get a Plan B. Even if you say you're light years ahead of the competition, it's hard to get a Plan B in a salary cap league. Yeah, and I, I'm kind of concerned for them and what that looks like, uh, particularly as, you know, Clay Thompson enters free agency. I mean, I don't know if they're going to be able to add, even if Kevin Durant leaves. If Kevin Durant leaves, I don't know if they're going to be able to have the salary cap space, especially after took after uh, Steph Curry took that Supermax, where he's basically going to be on $40 million a season. And I actually want to talk about Curry here, because I think the difference right now in the series last night is just how much more Houston is doing from three. I mean, James Harden had the step back three going. If he makes three or four of those in a game, I'm not sure you can beat them, because, I mean, it just opens up everything for James Harden and as much as um watching him get there is is odious and, and, and difficult to look at um when he does have it going and, and when he is hitting those shots and and you know doing well in the lane like the highlights themselves are fun to look at but it's just the getting there that can be just so uh, plotting and awful but um f- from a Golden State uh, standpoint I think Steph Curry is my biggest concern takes a ton of criticism in game three and deserved it he was horrendous and I rem- and, and I was listening to a, a couple of, of basketball podcasts talking about what's wrong with Steph Curry. I mean, we've seen this really the entirety of this Golden State run is there are times in the postseason where he just doesn't have it. And some of it is just the make or miss nature of having a three-point based game. Um, And I I think last night, the difference was what Golden State didn't do from three. They were eight of 33, whereas Houston was 17 of 50. I mean, you make nine more threes. And and that's why Houston believes that that they're on on level pegging because they can. They're the one of the few teams in the league that feels like they can go toe-to-toe, if not better Golden State from three. 
three, and that can be the difference in a game. But Steph Curry is an interesting one. So I think a lot of people are talking about, you know, is it that, you know, and, and you know, Bill Simmons did this whole, you know, thing about uh, it's, it's actually kind of Kevin Durant's team now, and there's, you know, a, a mental block about who's actually in charge. I don't think it's any of that. I think what what people have failed to talk about for five years with Steph Curry when it comes to him coming short, beyond the injuries, beyond all that stuff, is that teams pick on him on defense. He actually has to defend more than anyone else on the floor for Golden State. And I think that wears him out. Like, it's actually right. There's never been a better time in the NBA to be really good on defense because it means you don't have to do any defending. Because teams are so constantly putting, you know, we want Curry switched on to Harden. You know, if you're, uh, you know, like you want J.J. Redick doing a ton of defending for Philadelphia, uh, you know, against Kawhi Leonard. Like, you, you put his guy in a pick and roll and see how they handle it, whether it's a switch or whether it's a trap. Either way, you're making the worst guy on the other team enter that pick and roll so that if if they decide to switch, that guy's one-on-one with the best offensive player. And he's the and Steph Curry is the weakest link on defense. And it's one of the things in the NBA that just is an, is an unavoidable fact. Size and athleticism plays a big role in who can be the best guy. And, and I've kind of learned that over these last few years because I was kind of making an argument for a while. Why can't Steph Curry be the best guy? He can't be the best guy because he's not big enough and not athletic enough, which is harsh on him because Steph Curry can't do anything about that. But when he's six foot three and isn't really that, he's not Russell Westbrook in terms of athleticism, he's not really going to be able to stay in front of everyone, and he's constantly being put in defensive actions. Houston has done a really good job of taking Steph Curry out of the series by constantly putting him in pick and rolls, by constantly getting him in foul trouble, and make and forcing him to make decisions that could potentially, in, in, I think in game two, he came damn close to fouling out, like, the amount of defensive work that he has to do is limiting him in this series, both from three and obviously in terms of that mental fatigue. And so in the fourth quarter, obviously he makes that three um, that made it a two-point game in the final minute, but then he also has a chance to win the game, or, or I'm, I'm sorry, tie the game and send it to overtime. And it just, it, it didn't go in for him. And while that could just be he missed a three, it could also be that he's played, you know, 40, 48 minutes of basketball in which he's doing a lot of defending. And that's something that I think gets missed with Steph Curry a lot is just how much he gets put in those pick and rolls and has to guard Harden on the outside. That's a ton of work to, you know, to ask of a guy that isn't really that good on defense. I think that plays a huge role in Golden State maybe, maybe struggling from three and him being such a key part of what they do, maybe not having it going offensively often enough in this series. Yeah, and I think that's why when we talk about the best player in the league, um, it makes it hard to pick Steph, even if he he's the one you want to watch. Sure. I, I, and I think that's kind of where we're at with him. And it, it you know, it, it's why we sort of then move him into another category, which is greatest shooter or greatest shooter who could also handle and pass. Right. Or great. You know, th- that's like, how do you separate him from a Ray Allen? Well, because Ray, except for a couple of years of his career was not, you know, somebody who was going to be taking the ball, to the basket and doing a ton of those things. And, and so we put Steph in other categories, but when you start to move him into the LeBron Giannis Kawhi category, you're right. He just doesn't literally measure up. And and I think that's uh, again, why he's been able to be schemed out. It doesn't make him any less dangerous. It just means that it's harder to sort of count on him as the guy night after night. And that's going to be the big issue when Durant leaves uh, provided that Durant does leave is Steph's going to be the guy again. And I mean, unless they bring back Boogie cousins, um, you know, he's going to be the guy it's been proven. You can't really count on clay, even if he does return. Draymond's not that type of scorer. And so, you know, Steph now after sort of being able to operate, not in the shadows because he never does, but more so than he used to, now he's going to be put back in the middle of it again where everybody's going to be throwing everything at him. And so I, I just, you know, I, I love watching him. I hate watching Harden, uh, but I've got to give, you know, respect to what Houston's done in this series because I think D'Antoni's done some very creative things defensively. But I, I think ultimately – when you talk about Curry's size, I think the thing that gets to him the most is I think once we start to get deeper in the playoffs, he just gets tired. Yeah. And and so and and I think what you're starting to see is, you know, with Golden State, you know, not only, you know, is he being asked to be carried more of the scoring burden maybe than ordinary because Clay is not playing well, but also that as I said, they don't have any bench. So I mean, you can't even grab three or four minutes for him and feel comfortable with it. Like he has to be on the floor and he's playing in the forties every night. I just feel you know, when you look at what, you know, when they were destroying, when they were going to 73 wins, Steph wasn't playing fourth quarters. I, I mean, he wasn't, it didn't matter. Like they were up by so much and the bench was not this awful. 
So it was like you could put them in and you could be up 12 in the fourth. And, okay, we're going to shut Steph down. If it gets down to seven, we'll, we'll put him back in. That was happening every night. Like he, the 73-win team, like he played like a third of the fourth quarters. Um, so I, I just think that's the position they're in. Before we move on, I, I just want to say, I just want to ask, this series, there's three games left. How dangerous, so Golden State right now are minus 200 favorites. Houston are plus 162 to win the series. What would you sort of say is the chance that Houston can actually do this? Win out of four, win four out of five games against the Golden State Warriors have to win another, or win one game on the road. Um, what would you say is the chance that Houston could actually do this? I think they could do it. I, I think they can do it. And, and I thought this would be a series that would go seven. I thought Golden State would win. But I think they can do it. I don't think the Warriors are impenetrable at home anymore. Uh, I, I think whenever you have a team that's somewhat fractured, which the Warriors are, like that stuff comes out in deciding games. Mm-hmm. And, and we've seen that so many times. And so I, I wouldn't put it past them at all to have a bad performance in a game seven at home. I think it's very doable. I don't think the how many you win in a row or something like that matters at this stage. I think Houston... It's belief, and it's a formula that they have. And there's, if they're true to their formula and they believe they can win uh, against a team that is playing five guys, I, I think it's doable. I mean, you only need a bad, you know, a couple more bad shooting games from Clay and Curry to have one bad shooting game, and there'll be a loss in there somewhere. And so, I, I absolutely think it's possible. I don't want to see it because I'm one of the few that I want to see the Warriors. I prefer the way they play, but I absolutely think um, that it's doable. I want to go to the other series here, Denver and Portland. And I mean, obviously this has been the, you know, the most competitive of a series. Uh, it's hard for me to separate the teams sometimes. Uh, they're, they're only separated through four games by two points. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know what conclusions we can draw. Uh, you know, uh, Portland has been ultra competitive, even when Lillard has not shot well. They're getting performances. We talked about George Hill earlier. Like George Hill looked unplayable next to LeBron. So did Rodney Hood. And they're getting they're getting teens, you know, yeah. score from Rodney Hood. He hits he uh, hits the biggest shot in quadruple overtime in game three to win the game. Like Rodney right. Hood made that biggest shot. Unplayable. Absolutely unplayable with Cleveland. Uh, so, uh, you know, how to evaluate this series, I don't know. I mean, it feels like the undercard, um, but a lot of undercards can be better than the main event. And, and so in the case of the West, we've gotten two really compelling series. I, I think for, for me, for Portland, though, um, they don't win this series unless Lillard sustains a hot streak. And, and it comes back to the Kyrie thing. I don't know that you can count on a Rodney Hood or some of their supporting pieces uh, later we get into this series. But for Denver, uh, which of the guards, to you know, is going to be consistent? Uh, and, and, you know, that that to me is the big thing there. But I honestly, I thought this was a coin flip series. I still see it as that. I don't really feel like either team has imposed its will because I don't know what its will is. Sure. <laughs> I, I, right? I mean, they both like to play slightly up-tempo. Um, you know, both of them, uh, you know, rely, you know, heavily on guards and three-point shooting for a lot of scoring. I mean, the big difference obviously is that for Denver, you know, their fulcrum is their center, but I I don't, I just don't see a lot of breathing room here. I I, I just, I feel like if Lillard gets hot, that is the tipping point. Like if he gets on one of those runs, we saw that in a game in Miami here a couple years ago, he was totally unguardable. Like if, if you, if he gets on one of those runs, he's giving you 38 to 41 on, you know, close to 50% shooting, hitting a bunch of threes. I do believe they win this series, but if he's slightly off, I think it's very, very possible that Denver advances here. Agreed. And and I, I by the way, you, you talk about imposing wills. The, the the one will that I think has been imposed so far on this series is that Damian Lillard um, has not really been that good so far. I mean, you look at you know the last three games, even the games that they won, uh, they won game two on the road, and he was five of seventeen, and they won uh, the the quadruple overtime game. He was only ten of twenty four uh, in a quadruple overtime game. He played fifty eight minutes. I mean, that box score is hilarious, by the way. Um, but but I, I don't think Damian Lillard has really imposed his will in this series. And you're right, uh, if he does eventually get there, I think that might be game over as well. By the way, as Jokic and Murray are playing, and that I think is is kind of the breakout storyline so far. Um, of this postseason for Denver is how well uh, Jokic's game has translated to the postseason as a triple-double in that quadruple overtime game. But just, I mean, in, uh, you're watching some of the passes that, that he pulls off in, in the middle of a playoff game. It's incredible um, the fact that his game translates. He played 65 minutes in that quadruple overtime game and, and manages two nights later to come out uh, and still and still keep that, you know, they, they, they keep that game competitive despite uh, and, and win the game uh, despite losing in that game three and such devastating fashion um but 
I, I'm really interested in this series just because of what Jokic um, can do in particular. The fact that his game worked. Like it was funny because uh, I think it was in the middle of the quadruple overtime game. Maybe it was game four. I was watching game four. And Jokic, you know, towards the end of the game as they're winning, uh, comes off because he looks like he, he's picked up an injury. And it was funny because they went back and showed on, on, the, on the TNT replay, I think this is the moment where he got hurt, but Jokic just looks so pained all the time running up and down the court and looks so herky-jerky and unathletic that, wait, how is him being hurt any different than him be, you know, uh, being not hurt? Like, it just didn't, it didn't look any different. Um, but the fact that his game has translated has been really fun to watch. But I think this series comes down uh, to, the, uh, to the performances of Lillard and of Murray, who's become a bit more consistent. In round one, he was very up and down, even within games. There was one game in that San Antonio series where he was dreadful for three quarters and then wins the game in the fourth. But I think what Murray has done uh, to become a little bit more consistent, uh, Jokic as well. Um, I, I I do think though the series comes down uh, to Lillard, to Lillard and whether or not he can uh, you know, on a consistent basis be that supernova type player uh, that he was in the first round um, to to win Portland games. I think that it's going to take those kinds of performances to win this series. But I think you know. If you're if we're saying which one is most likely to go seven of the ones that are tied at two two right now, I definitely say Portland and Denver. Yeah, I think this one's going seven. I, I don't yeah. see the team breaking away from the other for two straight games, and you know, so you'll have one of these teams completely exhausted before they face a, a Houston Golden State team that probably will be exhausted too, especially if it's if it's the Warriors and they're all playing forty eight minutes in Game Seven, which is very possible. You know, we saw. I remember I go back to the Celtics Heat series, one of those series. Uh, during the big three era where doc rivers played six guys that was it like he was he was done with everybody else he was playing six guys and that's where steve kerr is and i i think you know it tells you you know it, it's hard to call a team the greatest of all time when they have five players they trust at, at yep. this state we're just sort of these are the wheezing moments of a dynasty it happens to all of them it doesn't mean they're not going to be competitive but the warriors as we know them i think even if they win a championship this year i i think we've seen the peak i i, I mm-hmm. don't know how they rebuild it, you know, from the bottom of the draft without a great development program. Um, you know, obviously you're going to have one of guys who want to come and play with Steph, but there'll be some guys who don't because they'll kind of look at it like they, what happened with Durant, which is that Durant came out there and has performed it. Whatever you think of Kevin, he's performed at a really high level and it's still Curry's team in the eyes of the fans. So sure. I don't, I don't know that another star wants to deal with that. I mean, it has to be a star like a Kawhi who doesn't seem to care about that. And there are very, very, very few of those. So, um, we'll do more NBA next week. Obviously, later in the week, we're, we're planning on talking to Kirk Goldsberry. Uh, we have uh, an, an NFL episode coming up later this week. We're scheduled to talk to Dave Pash, uh, and he is the play-by-play voice for the Arizona Cardinals. Had some things to say on social media after the, the Dolphins got Josh Rosen. He kind of pushed back on the idea that Josh Rosen was a bad character guy. Pash also calls uh, basketball games. Yeah, he, he was actually on the call. I was watching the highlights back this morning prepping for the pod. Uh, he called the quadruple overtime game. So we can ask him about that. I mean, I can't even imagine how fun that must have been. He was with Doris Burke on that game. Uh, that must have been huge fun as well. Yeah, no doubt. So we'll talk a little basketball with Dave, but obviously we want to get into uh, a lot of Josh Rosen. All right, so we'll talk to you soon. And make sure you check out the website again, fivereasonsports.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.